If you're new tonight, I want to say we're glad you're here. I'm excited that you came. I know that it's a big step of faith to come to something like this, especially if you only know like one or two people. It's kind of scary to come out of your comfort zone and come and hang out with people, especially at a religious type thing. So I just want to say thank you for coming. Thank you for being brave. And if you're new, I hope you get that t-shirt and that Bible because it's so good. But anyways, we're excited you're here and we pray that you'd feel at home tonight. All right, so from the time that I was about three or four years old, or no, from the time I was three or four to the time I was eight years old, I had this best friend named Brianna, and she lived down the street from me, okay? So there's my house, there's a house in between us, and then there's hers, and we hung out all the time. We were best buds. We rode our bikes together. We skateboarded or or tried to skateboard. We climbed trees. We swam in the pool together. We walked to the gas station with our older siblings together, and we did everything that you could imagine together. She's my very best friend, and when I was around four years old, probably around the time that a picture was taken that I think should be up here. So probably around that time, some, at some point. You see me in the back with a mullet. Praise the Lord for mullets. It's 1996, baby. Come on. All right. So around that time, Brianna and her parents were hanging out at our house. And uh, after a little bit of time, her dad went home. And then, um, then when her mom went home, she realized that, that Brianna wasn't with the dad. The mom thought, oh, Brianna went with her dad. And then the mom went home and was like, oh, Brianna's not here. So they didn't know where Brianna went because they both came with her and they got confused about what happened to her. So for about an hour or so, they run around the neighborhood, run around the houses and yelling for Brianna. Brianna, Brianna, where are you? Where are you? Uh, the moms are crying. The dads look terrified. I can remember her dad's face. It's really weird. I was four. I can remember the terror on her dad's face as he didn't know where she was. And after about an hour or so, my dad walked into my bedroom and found her hiding behind my bed uh, (laughs) on her knees like this. You can imagine this, like just sitting there and hiding. And turns out she peed her pants, and she didn't want anybody to know. (laughs) I share that to say, I think that's what a lot of our relationships with Jesus are like. So hear me, we pee our pants, right? We sin, and then we hide from God. We're struggling, we think, oh, God wouldn't want to see me right now, I got pee in my pants. (laughs) Okay, we'll leave the peeing in the pants aside. But point is, point is we mess up and we hide from God. And I don't think we realize that that God is like a good father who's searching us out. And And when we're separated from him, there's terror on his face. He's worried, he's concerned that we're hiding from him, and he's pursuing us. God is intimately pursuing every single person. He wants an intimate relationship with everybody. He's not wanting to punish us, but instead he's wanting to embrace us. And he's wanting to send us on a better path forward. He wants to be with us. He wants to teach us how to live and have relationships. So maybe you're saying, hey, I'm not hiding anymore. I have a relationship with Jesus. But even if you're not hiding tonight, I believe that God wants to call you to join the search party with him and to seek other people out. God wants you to have terror on your face that people are separated from him and to be frantically searching for the lost sons and daughters of God. This is the heart of God. He is seeking people out. He wants every single heart to know him. He wants you to know him, and he wants you to be a part of the rescue mission to go save others. That's what Christianity is all about, is reconciling people to Christ. I believe tonight that that God wants to encounter every single person in here with his love. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. 
tonight he wants to show you his love. And I believe that after that, it's not just going to be an encounter with his love, but I believe he also wants to send us out to show our campus and show the world his love. I believe that there are three different groups of people here. I did some prayer and, and some thought about this. I, I think there's three groups. So, so just hold up a finger when I say your groups. And one, two, or three. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. But I think there's three groups, and I think you can relate with, or with one of these groups. The first group is those of us who came in here tonight, and we don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. I believe that if that's you, God is pursuing you. And tonight, he's going to invite you into relationship. Okay, so the second group is those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, but you haven't been a part of the search party uh, searching out for the lost sons and daughters of God. Instead, you've just kind of been consuming Christianity, but you haven't actually been going out and reaching out to people with his love. I believe tonight that God's going to call you to join the search party. And then there's a third group of us tonight. I think that it's the group of us who have been living on mission. You have been a part of the search party, but if you're honest, you're discouraged. You've been rejected a lot as you've tried to search people out with God's love. And I believe that tonight that God just wants to bring you back to why you started reaching out to people in the first place and to refresh you tonight. And tonight, if you came in here and as we talk about reaching out to people, you feel inadequate or you feel like, wow, I could never be a part of that. That's for like special people like pastors and small group leaders. I believe that tonight that God wants to shatter that, uh, that perception and he wants to show you that he can use you right where you're at and you don't have to have, it, have anything figured out. Instead, all you have to do is be obedient and share his love with people as he gives you opportunity. So with that said, we're starting a new sermon series tonight called Every Tribe. And this series is based off of Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. And, and Revelation's a book about the end times. It's about what's going to happen after the world ends, essentially, and God, and God recreates the heavens and the earth. And there's a verse in, in verse 9 that says this. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes, which means they were forgiven and clean. And they were holding palm branches in their hands. So uh, what John is saying here, who wrote Revelation, he's saying that this is what heaven is going to look like. There's going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus there's going to be Americans worshiping Jesus. There's going to be Brazilians worshiping Jesus. There's going to be Chinese worshiping Jesus, South Africans, Turkish people, Russians, the French, people from obscure tribes in Alaska and Africa, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship Jesus and declare him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus will not return until someone from every tribe, tongue, and nation comes to know him. God wants us to be a part of making this happen, a part of getting someone from every tribe, tongue, and nation into his family. God wants to use us to reach the one in front of us, the one in our classes, the one that we talk to at family events, that family member who's interested in God. God wants, us, or God wants to use us to reach the one. He also wants to use us to reach the campus as a whole, and also he wants to use us to reach the world. God may call you to go and reach an obscure tribe in Africa. That's like legit. He could call you to do that. Do you realize that? That God could call you to do that, to give everything, to go and to share his gospel with a tribe that doesn't know him. God wants all of us to be a part of this. So over this series, we're going to take a week to unpack each of these three things for the one, for the campus, for the world. And tonight I get the privilege to kick it off by talking about God's heart for the one. <clears throat> 
I'm praying that as we talk about God's heart for the one, that he would grab your heart to not be after getting a crowd here on Tuesday nights, although I love crowds, that's great, but instead, after loving the one person in front of you. If we could all love the one person in front of us, then I think he'd take care of having a crowd, right? Because that would double. You know how math works. We each, we, if we each go and reach one, double. And then everyone goes and reaches one again. Okay, I don't know what happens after that, but it's some type of math. So point is, <laughs> we would get a crowd pretty quickly, but I think so many times we're focused on the crowd. We're focused on we got to fill this place up that we forget to just do what God has called us to do and reach out to the one in front of us with his love. All right, sermon is called For the One. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. If you were here four weeks ago, we uh, read one of these parables for the first week of the year, but tonight we're going to read a different parable from the same chapter, and that's because Luke 15 is often considered to be one of the most loved chapters of the entire Bible. It is a beautiful, beautiful chapter, and what it is is it's a series of parables which are just stories that illustrate heavenly realities. It's a series of parables that talk about God's heart for the lost. Or, and when I say lost, I'm talking about pre-Christians, people who don't know Jesus yet. So these parables talk about God's heart for people who are separated from him. So let's read the first one. In verse 1, it says this. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes, which are just religious people, they grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. He says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it up on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the word of the Lord. All right, I want to pray tonight. Jesus, I just pray that this scripture would get into our hearts, God. I pray that you would put the heart of the shepherd who sought after the one into our hearts, God. I pray that we would just be on a mission to find those who are separated from you and to bring them to your love. God, I pray that this group would just be sent on mission to our campuses and to the ones in front of us to show people your love. So God, we love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, three principles tonight I think that God wants us to get. The first one is this, the great temptation for those of us who are found, which is talking about people who are in relationship with Jesus, is to forget about those who are lost. The first thing we need to establish is if you're already a Christian, and especially if you've been a Christian for some time, it is so easy to forget about those who don't know Christ. It's easy to forget that God has called you to reach out to the lost with his love. As you rightly begin to leave your old ways and separate from your old life and, and separate from the world, you can sometimes forget to love the people in the world. You can forget to pursue the people who are far from God. You can forget that God has not called us to run away from the world, but instead to run to the world on a mission to reach those who are separated from him. It is so easy, if you're a Christian, to forget about those who don't know Jesus. The Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day did not understand how Jesus could possibly want to spend time with people who were far from God, especially tax collectors and sinners, because those people were way messed up, all right? They're like, how in the world would you want to spend time with uh, these kinds of people? Why would you want to do this? 
These were not the kind of people that the righteous, or especially a rabbi like Jesus, would want to associate with. And the Pharisees and the scribes were confused. It says, this man received sinners and eats with them. They grumbled when they said that. It was actually offensive to them that Jesus would go and associate with these men and women. The Pharisees, they believed that by associating with this people, it would defile you. It would make you unclean according to the law. And it was shocking to them that Jesus would risk his cleanliness by being around these people. In the Pharisaic culture, they did not have a heart for the lost. They did not look forward to the saving of a sinner, but instead they looked forward to the destruction of a sinner. They looked forward with glee to when God would judge people. Even though Jesus grew up around this culture, he did not let it interfere with his heart to reach out and save those who were lost. He knew that his mission was to go and save sinners, and he knew that he could not do that if he didn't spend time with them. In Luke chapter 19, it says this. It says, For the Son of Man, which is Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, it's easy for us to forget about those who don't know Jesus yet. It's easy to forget that right before Jesus left, he commanded us to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus commanded us. Making disciples just means to make little Jesuses, right? We're supposed to go help people follow Jesus and be like him. That's what we're called to do. But so many times in Christian culture, we forget that that is the reason we exist, is to reconcile the world to God. And we just sit around in our holy clubs and pray and spend time together reading the Bible, which is great, but we don't go out and reach people. There can be people who we know who don't know Jesus, and they will never figure out that we're Christians because we hide it from them. We don't share God's love. Instead, we try to keep it as a private thing. About three years ago, I visited a church in Urbandale called, it's called New Hope Assembly of God. And some of you came from that church. And it was just before the school year started at UNI. And I went there because I wanted to recruit some graduating seniors to come and be a part of Chi Alpha. And on that night, I met two people who were coming to UNI. And one was this person who was just like on fire for God. I was like, this girl is going to change the campus. If we can get her into Kaifa, holy cow, she is going to change the campus. And I put a lot of attention on her. But then there was a second girl, and she wouldn't make eye contact with me. She looked like she hated me. Is there a, okay, good. Don't put it up yet. So, uh, <laughs> did you put it up? So she looked like she hated me. She didn't want to talk to me. She wanted nothing to do with me. Okay, so anyways, I didn't even think much about Chloe. I didn't, I loved her, I was, you know, glad to meet her, but I was like, there's no way she's coming to Chi Alpha. She ends up coming the first week, and her and her friend both come, but after some time, her friend stopped coming, and, and Chloe kept coming, and God kept slowly changing Chloe, slowly transforming her. There she is. You know, Chloe came from a rough background, I don't know if you know that. I won't share a ton of details, you can ask her about it, but a really rough background, one of the rough back or probably one of the uh, roughest backgrounds I've ever heard of, of a student coming from. It's just crazy stuff. Anyways, point is, I feel like a lot of times we'd overlook those kind of people and think there's no way that Jesus would reach them. There's no way that Jesus could transform them. But, but God doesn't look at the same things we look at. God doesn't look at the external things. He doesn't look at people's facial expressions or if they have it all together. Instead, he looks at the heart. 
And God saw that if he could get a hold of Chloe's heart, that she would change the world. And she truly has. I don't think she realizes it, but I believe she's changed the world. Over the last three years as a student, she's pioneered our international ministry all by herself pretty much. I haven't done really anything, to be honest with you. She's been a small group leader. Some of you have been in her small group. She's raised up small group leaders. She's led people to the Lord. She's discipled people. Chloe's incredible. And I share that to say that God might want you to reach a Chloe on her campus, someone who maybe doesn't make eye contact with or with you, doesn't want anything to do with you, you don't think want it, or wants anything to do with God, but God might be calling you to see past that and see the heart and invite them to Chi Alpha or invite them to be part of your small group and to see what he might do because God's in the business of changing lives, right? He can do it. So just before Luke 15 is Luke 14. If you didn't know that, you learned something tonight. And when it was written, I don't know if you know this about the Bible, but it wasn't separated by chapter, okay? So it's just all like a running thing, right? So, yeah, Luke 14 and 15 weren't separated. And in Luke 14, Jesus gives one of his uh, most, or he gives one of his hardest teachings in the entire New Testament. He says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to hate your mom and your dad and your siblings. Whoa, Jesus saying to hate people? What he's saying is he's saying that compared to how much you love me, you've got to hate everything else. That's what it's got to seem like, because you love me so much, and you put me over everything else. So some of you tonight feeling convicted in this room, because your family comes before Jesus, if you're honest. Like, Jesus is down here somewhere. Jesus said to them, he said, you better hate your father your mother compared to how much you love me. Okay, so he gives this teaching, and then at the end of Luke 14, in verse 39, he says, you who have ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, so he's saying this is a hard teaching, and he's saying there's some of you who are going to hear this and respond to it, some of you aren't. And then in chapter 15, verse 1, right after he says this about having ears to hear, it says this. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. So what's that say to us? That says that the people who could hear Jesus' hardest teachings were the people who seemed to be the furthest from him. Those were the people who were, who were willing to give it all for Jesus. Sometimes we count these people out, but Jesus says, these people sometimes have ears to hear, and the religious people can't hear me because their hearts are so hard. They think they've heard everything. They think they know everything. They think, oh, I figured this out. But Jesus is after those who have soft hearts. And sometimes the people with the most, you know, rebellious nature, it seems like, or like the worst sins, those are the people with the softest hearts deep down. So I'm just saying this to you tonight. One, if you're the Pharisee, repent. Okay, if your heart's hard, say, Jesus, give me ears to hear your hard teachings. If you've heard hard teachings over and over again and you keep disobeying him, you might want to check yourself tonight. Don't be the person who doesn't have ears to hear. Instead, be more like the tax collectors and sinners. I'm not saying to do their sins, but be like them who, like they come closer to Jesus when he says the hard teaching. They come closer and say, Jesus, tell me more. How can I follow you? Be more like them. And also, go after those people. Don't count people out. Instead, say, Jesus, I know you're calling people to yourself all the time. Help me to be a part of finding them. I'm not gonna judge them or decide for them. All right, that's the first thing tonight. All right, so we've established the setting of the parable. Now I actually want to get into the parable. So let's read it again, verses 4 through 7. He says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it up on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. And just so I tell you, there's going to be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Second thing tonight is... Jesus is always pursuing the one. By sharing this parable, Jesus is trying to teach the religious people that by spending time with tax collectors and sinners, he's modeling the heart of God. 
He's teaching them that God doesn't only welcome those who are doing the right things, but he pursues the hurting and the broken, the ones who seem to be the most messed up. And not only that, he actually takes initiative and he seeks these people out. This is what God is like. That's what Jesus is saying. He pursues the one. God loves the 99 sheep who are hanging out in the pen. He loves the found, but their safety is no excuse for not pursuing the one who's gone astray. Just like a good shepherd, he's going to search that one out until it's found. In Jesus' culture, if a sheep was lost, the shepherd would track the sheep for miles and miles over the hills and, and seek them out until they could find them. And one commentator on this passage, which are just people who explain what it means, said this, or he said that by going and seeking out these sheep, they were actually risking their lives. They could get hurt by doing that, going out into the wildlife and, and trying to find them. And this sounds, or sounds much like what Jesus would do for us when he died on the cross, right? He gives it all for us. He risks his own safety to save us. And that's what the shepherd would do. And these shepherds, they often work within communities, so they would have communal flocks. Like a whole village would have a flock together, and then two or three shepherds would take care of all the sheep and when a shepherd would go out to pursue the one that was lost, the whole village would wait up for him and wait till he returned. They would look over into the countryside and try to see the shepherd coming with the sheep because they wanted to celebrate with him when he got home. And when they saw the shepherd, when they saw the shepherd with the sheep across his shoulders in the distance, they would break out with joy and thanksgiving. They would say, we're so glad that our friend is back. So Jesus is saying that this is what heaven is like. All of heaven erupts with joy when one lost sheep comes home. The thing that Jesus is saying tonight is that God is kinder than men and women. God is a lot kinder than you are. And some of you think he's a lot more mean than you. You think, I'm pretty nice. God, uh, he's kind of messed up. He's really angry all the time. No, God is kinder than you. God doesn't hold stuff against people. God doesn't carry bitterness in his heart. Instead, he is ready to forgive people as soon as they come back to him. This is what God is like. Heaven erupts with joy when sinners come home to the Father. And this is what we need to be like. In February of 2017, I spoke at a church in Clinton, Iowa. And it just so happened that a high school senior girl visited the church on that same weekend. And we found out that she happened to be coming to you and I. It was her very first time coming to this church, but we heard that she's coming to you and I, and we're so pumped. Like, what are the chances that you and I, or future you and I soon would come to church on the very weekend that we're sharing about Chi Alpha at this church? We were fired up, excited, pumped to get her plugged into Chi Alpha. But the thing we didn't know at the time is that she wasn't really walking with Jesus at this point. She was struggling with the relationship and the party scene, all those kind of things. And she began attending the church off and on in Clinton, attended the youth group when she felt like it, and she ended up coming to uh, the youth camp that summer, or that summer with the group, and our worship team was playing at the youth group, or at the youth camp, and she was sitting out in the audience. She gave her life to Jesus that week, and she also felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, hey, you're supposed to be a part of that worship team, and little did I know that all of our worship leaders were going to quit that year because they were moving on, not bad things, they are just moving on, and God was raising up this little senior girl to be our our future worship leader. If you show the picture, this is Isabel Wolf. Uh, she's saying tonight. So Isabel comes to Chi Alpha. She gets free of the party and that kind of stuff. Uh, she gets baptized in water, becomes a small group leader, begins leading people, leading worship. And it's all because God set it up for us to be at the church the same weekend that she visited. 
I share that to say that God is arranging the events of your life to bring you closer to him. And God is arranging the events of the lives of those around you to bring them to him. But he wants you to be obedient and to reach out to people and, and to share God's love when given a chance. Jesus is after the one. Jesus, yes, he's after crowds, but ultimately he's after Chloe and Isabel and Haley and Reagan and Avery and Nick Ellis. He's after the one. He's after you. He's not just after a big crowd of people uh, where he's insensitive to what people are actually going through. Instead, he is intimately interested in every single human being and knows everything about each of us and each of those people on our campus. Every single student, he knows everything about them. He loves them. He wants them in his family. God wants every person in this world to know him. All right, third thing. Well, actually, not third thing yet. Uh, I got some more to say about this. So I don't believe that Jesus only told this parable to show God's heart for the one, but I believe he also wants God's heart to get into us and for us to model God's heart by reaching out to people. But one thing I want you to remember before I get into this last idea is that we don't just pursue the one because we love the one. We don't just pursue people because we love people, but we primarily, or primarily pursue people because we love God. Like for the one, as much as it's about the one person out in our class or whatever, it's also about the one, you know, God. It's, it's for him that we pursue people. The primary reason we pursue people has to be our love for Jesus. And as we fall in love, for Jesus, or fall, or fall in love with Jesus, our love for people will just overflow out of that. In the parables of Luke 15, the one we read tonight, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost sons that we read a, a couple weeks ago, the emphasis is not on the one that's lost. It's on the one who lost the thing. Like in the, for the lost coin, it's on the one who lost the coin. And the sons, it's on the father. The emphasis is on the father, how he lost his sons. Here, it's on the fact that the shepherd lost his sheep. God is the one that we're trying to alleviate the suffering of. Ultimately, God suffers in heaven when his sons and daughters are separated from him. And we, when we go out and we reach out to the one, we are trying to alleviate the suffering of God. And heaven erupts with joy because God's suffering is alleviated. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. And that's how so many times when we're pursuing people, at times we can get a little messed up because like, we're not doing it because we love God, we're doing it because we love people. And then all of a sudden, our own ideas come over God's. And we start to dictate what's truth and what's not because we're putting people over God. But everything has to overflow from our love for God. He has to be our motivation. He has to be the one that's dictating how we go out and reach people. Does that make sense what I'm saying tonight? I think we need to get that straight because if we're putting people on a platform, then it's going to skew everything else. We put God on the platform, we love God, and then out of that we go and try to reconcile his lost sons and daughters to him. So uh, with that said, God's called us to help alleviate his suffering. God's called us to help in that. God's called us to bring people home to him so heaven can rejoice. Okay, so the third point tonight is this. Like Jesus, we must pursue the one by finding, feeding, and fighting for them. Just as Jesus goes after the sheep, we got to go after the sheep. And we must be so full of love for God and for people that we do whatever it takes to bring the lost home. Specifically, we find, feed, and fight for these people. So picture a shepherd. Obviously, they have to go and find their lost sheep if they're lost. They have to go and get them. They run through the hills to go find them. But then after being found, the shepherd does the patient work of, of feeding the sheep, of taking care of the sheep day in and day out. And then finally, the shepherd carries a staff so that he can fight for the sheep. And sometimes the shepherd uses it to bring 
a sheep in as it tries to bust out of the pen, like you know how it's got the little hook thing, it like grabs it and pulls it in. And sometimes the shepherd goes out and starts beating up a lion with the staff. They fight for their sheep. They protect their sheep. They try to keep their sheep in the fold. As followers of Jesus, God has called us to do this for lost people, to find, feed, and fight. God has called us to do this. This is something we say all the time with our small groups. We're going out to the campus to find, feed, fight. So I want to unpack this really quick and, and explain what this looks like practically as we go find, feed, and fight. So first thing is we go out to our community and we find those who are lost. We find those who are separated from Jesus. We go and share our faith. Every morning we wake up and say, Jesus, show me those who you want me to share your love with today. And then we keep our eyes open. We don't keep our iPod. Well, not iPod. But people don't do that anymore. We don't keep our iPhone earbuds in and just block everyone out. Instead, we're on the lookout for people, trying to find people who are separate from God, and we want to see if there's opportunities to share his love with them. So this can look like doing outreaches on campus. So John's doing an outreach tomorrow at 3 o'clock, all right? And he gets discouraged sometimes, because sometimes he's fired up. He goes out there, and he's all by himself. Sometimes Jacob Venus comes too, but it's pretty much just him. So why don't some of us go tomorrow and join John as he goes out to campus and does an outreach and, and shares his faith with people? He's a bold dude. If you just want to watch him do it, that's great. You can do that. That's okay. People did that with Jesus. They'd watch him do it, and then they would do it. So go out and watch John do it, and the next time you can do it. Okay, so that's one way we go and find people. We can also find people by inviting them to our services. I encourage you guys, invite your friends. Every single night is bring a friend night. That's why every week, and I'll do it tonight, so I'm giving you a preview, I share the gospel of Jesus at the end. I share the good news, how you can be saved, because I'm expecting that new people are going to be here every single week. I encourage you to bring your friends and and they're going to have an opportunity to encounter Jesus' love. And finally, invite your friends to small groups. Our small groups are supposed to be missional. They're supposed to be these groups that are, are slowly growing throughout the year as they add people. And our small group leaders are instructed when a new person comes to consider even changing up the night. If it's a weird topic for a new person to come in, they'll change up the night and do something more relatable for a new person. So I encourage you, bring your friends to small group. That's an easy place. They don't have to come to church. They don't have to step into a church building or step into a worship service. Instead, all they're doing is hanging out with a few people who are pretty cool, I hope, and talking about, you know, life and the Bible, okay? All right, that's fine. The second thing is feed, and I love feeding. I'm not as good at finding, I'll be honest with you. Like, maybe I'm too intense, but feeding, I like that, because that's where you can be a little more intense. Feeding is the uh, discipleship part of this. This is the part where we're teaching people how to follow Jesus. And the way we do this in Chi Alpha, if you're curious, is like the, or this is our philosophy, is every staff member has three to five student leaders who they meet with almost every single week or every other week, and we feed that person. We, we go through the Bible. We talk about the things they're going through. We pray together. We feed them the Word of God. We feed them truth. So for me, I primarily meet with like three dudes right now. And then also the staff. You might think that's crazy. Like, oh, I thought he met with everybody. No, I primarily meet with like three people. And I feed them every week. I disciple them. I know the most intimate things about their lives. But then they go out and feed other people. So they're your small group leaders. And they go and feed you. But then it doesn't stop there. It's not like, hey, okay, I get full and I sit here. No, you go and feed someone else. Go and teach your friend the Bible. Go uh, share Jesus' love with people. Go encourage your friends with the hope of Jesus Christ. Go and feed as well. So the idea is instead of me being the one who feeds all of you although I'm doing that tonight with, you know, teaching the word, that all of us are feeding somebody. And if that's happening, then discipleship is happening. People are coming to know Jesus, and we can do much more with an army than with one person trying to do it by, by themselves. Does that make sense? 
So I want to encourage you. I don't care if you're smart. I don't care if you're a pastor. You don't have to be those things. Just go start feeding someone. Grab the Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 1 or whatever you want to do and just read it with someone and say, hey, what do you think that meant? I don't know. What do you think that meant? You guys talk about it. And I go, okay, cool. We'll go to the next verse. That's very simple, but it actually is great when you just read the Bible and talk about it. So go start feeding somebody, all right? And also feed yourself, too. That's the goal, is that you feed yourself every single morning by reading the Bible. And if you don't know how to read the Bible, your smarter leader is supposed to teach you that. And if they don't teach you that, well, tell them to teach you that, all right? So they can do that. They're trained to do that. So read the Bible every day, and you can eat from the Word of God. All right, some of you are like, why are we eating a book? If you don't understand it, I don't know what to tell you because we don't got a lot of time. All right, the last thing is fight, okay? So finally, we fight for each other. We don't fight with each other. Okay, so if you're doing karate out in the lobby, we don't fight with each other. We fight for each other, okay? So don't be taking a staff and hitting somebody with it. It's not how we do it here. We love each other. So we, okay, so the way we fight is we speak the truth and love to one another. Okay, so there's truth and love. Both of these things are important. Okay, so the truth part of it, sometimes you have to say things that might challenge somebody. I think of it as encouragement because I like to get challenged, right? But can kind of push on somebody a little bit and say, hey, I see this in your life and I want to encourage you that, uh, that maybe God has this for you. Okay, so we speak the truth, but it's got to be in love. So if you're doing it in a judgmental spirit, then get that out of here, all right? Because Jesus said, don't judge others and said, take the log out of your eye before you see the speck in someone else's, right? So we have to speak the truth in love. We have to be trembling before people and say, hey, I'm not you know, trying to come down on you. I'm just saying this is what I think God has for you. I think God has this. And then you need to receive it from others as well when they speak the truth in love to you. This is primarily how we fight for people, but also we fight for people by praying. Like we believe in prayer here at Chi Alpha. We believe it changes things. So we pray for people. You know, Regan Schonk, he is a genius and he loves Jesus. One time he said, Daniel, turn your concerns into petitions. Not just wise, turn your concerns, what you're worried about, into petitions, so into prayer. Instead of worrying about someone, pray for them, okay? So we do that. We fight for each other by praying for each other. And finally, we fight for each other by never giving up on each other. I promise you, I'm never giving up on you. I don't care if you smack me in the face and do a, a karate chop. I'm not, I'm not giving up on you. Nobody's giving up on you in Kyle. Alpha. I don't care. If you make a fool of yourself, you can come back here, and there's no judgment. Okay, we love you. We don't give up on you. And I pray that you wouldn't give up on people either. All right, I got one more story to share, and then we're done. I think, when I think about finding and feeding and fighting, I can't help but think of Forrest Estrom. Okay, this kid knows how to find, he knows how to feed, and he knows how to fight. I love this guy. And I'm not trying to put him on pedestal, so if you're getting prideful for us, just come on down, buddy. All right, so <laughs> at the beginning of last, okay, there you are. Okay, I was looking at your mom. All right, at the beginning of last fall, Forrest came in. He sat somewhere around there where Ryan Schmidt's at. And he encountered uh, the love of God, and he gave his life to Jesus, or he rededicated his life to Jesus, and then he became a part of Derek's small group. So Derek is my brother, the guy playing guitar right here. And Derek, you know, he I was actually the one who invited Forrest. He met with him before service and invited him to come. Obviously, his sister found him too, but, uh, but Derek was part of that. He, he fed Forrest probably every other week or every three weeks. I don't know how much they met, but they met often, and they would go through the Bible. They'd talk about life. They'd talk about sin struggles. And then he'd fight for Forrest. You know, you know, Forrest ain't perfect, and there are times where Derek had to fight for him, right? He had to contend for him. He had to pray for him. He had to speak truth and love to him. But the cool thing is Forrest didn't just get found, fed, and fought for him, be like, yeah, this is nice. Instead, he went and, and found, and he feeds and fights for other people. So over winter break, he went home, 
and he shared his faith with his friend Noah. Where's Noah at? You right there? Right, okay, right there, right next to each other. See, they love each other. So Noah, he shared his faith with Noah, and as far as I understand, I could have this wrong. I don't think Noah has any background in church or anything like that. Okay, no background in church. He shares his faith with Noah. Noah gives his life to Jesus, comes to our winter conference, even though he didn't go to you and I at the time or go to Hawkeye. He comes, gets baptized. I got to baptize him. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like the first time I met you. I'm like, hey, bud, let's baptize you. <laughs> and then he got up out of the water, and he hugged Forrest here in this picture. And then, you know, since then, though, Forrest and others have been feeding and fighting for Noah. And now I just see it. Noah's, you know, I feel like he's already doing it, but he's going to really start doing it for other people. And I see God calling him up to be a disciple maker. Like, the dude's here before anybody, and, he's, and he stays all the way to the end. He's at every single event. I'm pretty sure it gets, like, you know, two or three one-on-ones a week. He's in a couple of small groups. He's like doing Hawkeye by himself with John. Point is, like Noah's going after it, and I'm excited to see who Noah might reach as he goes and continues what was started last year with Forrest and Derek meeting together. Okay, so this is the heart of Chi Alpha. If you want to know what we're about, this is what we're about. Discipleship. Finding, feeding, and fighting for the lost lambs of God on our campus. There are so many lost little sheep on our campus, and God is calling us to go and do this. And if we do it together, it's not all on one person. Okay, we do it together. I believe we can change the world. Because we got each other, right? When you get discouraged, when you're trying to fight for someone and, and then they whack you with the staff, you can get encouraged because someone else is there to help you and encourage you, speak truth to you and, and be there for you. Let's do this together. I don't want it just to be me or the staff or smart leaders. I want everybody to be a part of this. I believe as we do this, we're going to lead so many people to Jesus. All right, so the main idea tonight is Jesus is sending us on mission to restore the ones who are lost. I recognize in a room this size that we're all at different places in our journey. And some of you, you came in here tonight and you're a follower of Jesus and you realize that Jesus is inviting you into this. He wants you to find, feed, and fight for the lost ones. And I believe, because I know how this works, I believe that you might feel guilty about it right now because you haven't been doing it in the past. You're like, I know Jesus, but... I haven't been finding anybody. I haven't been feeding anybody. I haven't been fighting for anybody. And I want to speak to you right now. I want to say that shame is always from the devil. Okay, so if you're wondering, is this shame from Jesus? Nope, it's not. Jesus does not want to make you feel bad tonight that you haven't been reaching out to your friends. Instead, what he wants you to do is feel the weight of that, like the fact that you have kind of missed it, but then replace shame with love. And say, even in those moments when you mess up, he still loves you. And that should blow your mind, right? All the people who walk past you every day who don't know Jesus and you don't say anything, that Jesus still loves you in the midst of that and he wants to give you a new future right now and give you or send you out on mission and that doesn't mean tomorrow you're going to stand up on the union like I think you can stand on top of the union right and just start preaching that's not what I'm saying but tomorrow you wake up with a humble heart before Jesus and say Jesus help me find someone today help me just encourage somebody today I promise you if you do that he's going to help you it happens to me every time. Every time I get humble enough to actually pray that prayer, it's like boom, 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 boom. People are coming across me all day long who need Jesus. He's just looking for, for those hearts who are willing, all right? So if there's shame in your heart, be gone in the, in the name of Jesus. I don't want shame to have any place in this ministry. I don't care if it's about that or something else. I'm sick of shame having its way. If you look around in this room and say, these people are so spiritual, I don't measure up. I pray that tonight you'd hear a truth that says you don't have to measure up because Jesus measured up for you. I pray that guilt would be gone in the name of Jesus. I'm sick of guilt having its way, okay? Stop measuring yourself against others. Instead, just look at Jesus and say, he's done it all for me. I'm so grateful. And then out of that, go and obey God and just do what he's asking you to do. 
okay, so let's do this together. Let's go and let's find, feed, fight. Let's leave shame at the door and say, I'm just gonna let God's love flow through me as I reach out to this campus. All right, there's others who came in here tonight. And when I talk about the one, it, it totally resonates with you. You're like, that's really, wow, that's speaking to me. But it doesn't speak to you in the same way that it might speak to someone else. Because there's people here who are Christians. And when I talk about that, they're like, yeah, I need to, or I need to go and reach the one. But for you, when you hear it, you're like, whoa, I am the one. I've been running from God. You know, maybe you once followed God in the past and you walked away, or maybe you never have. And you realize that you're out in the wilderness on your own and you're just running around by yourself. And God's been tracking you your whole life trying to find you. I pray tonight that you would stop and let him find you. It's not about you doing anything. It's not about you measuring up to him, but instead stop, turn around, see the shepherd and let him come to you because he wants to come to you tonight. It's not about you doing anything. Instead, he comes to you. And the way he did that was Jesus came, right? He was God for all of eternity. He's been God forever. He comes as a human being and he lives a perfect life. He never sins once. Like he does what we're supposed to do. Like he's the perfect little sheep, right? Like he does everything he's supposed to do. He eats his food when he's supposed to. He doesn't eat too much. You know, he is the perfect little sheep. He never sins. There's no punishment for someone who's perfect or there shouldn't be. But then Jesus actually went and paid a price. Like he went up on a cross and he died. And he wasn't dying for his own sin. He was dying for the sin of all the other sheep. And the other sheep are us, right? And he went up on the cross and he died a most gruesome death because our sin is messy. It's messed up. It separates us from God. But Jesus went and he hung there because he loves you. And he paid it all for you on that cross. And by Jesus being, or by Jesus of raised up on the cross, now he can raise us up on his shoulders and carry us home, so to speak. Like he can be the shepherd and come pick us up and carry us home because he spread his arms out on the cross and paid our debt. And now, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, in Colossians chapter three, it says that your life is hidden in Christ. So what that means is when God looks at you, all he sees is his perfect son. All he sees is the good sheep. That's all he sees. Your life is hidden with Christ and God, come on somebody. He sees Jesus when he looks at you. He doesn't see your junk. And that's why shame has no place in the son or daughter of God because Jesus has already paid for it all. So no shame. There's no shame tonight because Jesus paid it all for you. And not just that though. He didn't just die on the cross for you. He then went into a tomb. He died, which all of us are destined to do, right? And then he said that death does not have to have the final word. He showed us that death is not the destiny for all of us that we don't want it to be. He said he comes up out of the grave, breath comes back into his lungs, he comes back to life. And through that, he shows us that at the last day, we can be raised up as well and have life with God for eternity. Come on, somebody. That's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is our inheritance. If we put our faith in Jesus at the last day, God will raise you up and he will invite you into life with him forever and ever and ever. No shame, no guilt, no tears, no sickness, nothing. But you'll be with Jesus forever. I don't know about you guys, but I wanna live that life. I wanna be with Jesus. I wanna be with Jesus and I wanna help other people experience that. The grace and the love of God that doesn't leave us where we're at. Instead, he says, I'm coming all the way to get you. I'll come across every hill, every valley. I'll do whatever it takes to get you tonight. I pray that we would get that love inside of us because when that gets inside you, then you gotta go find, feed, and fight. You gotta do it because you know that time is short. There are people all around you who don't get to experience that. 
So stand with me right now because we got to pray because heaven's about to come down. I don't know what's happening here, but I just believe that Jesus wants to do something tonight. All right, so Jesus, I pray right now across this room that you would just begin to change our hearts. God, I pray that the good news, that the gospel, that you came and you died for us would get inside of us tonight. Jesus, I pray that we would experience your supernatural grace, your supernatural love that came all the way for us. So tonight, I want to give you an opportunity, guys, to respond to this love. I want to give you an opportunity to become a son or daughter of God, to turn around and see the shepherd coming after you and to say, all right, shepherd, pick me up, put me on your shoulders. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to give you a chance to do that. So how I'm going to do it is I'm just going to let you raise your hand to heaven, like just telling God, hey, come get me. I'm done running. Come get me. I need you to pick me up. That's all you got to do. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. Okay, so that's all you got to do. So I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I want you just to slip up your hand to heaven. So one, two, three. Slip them up across the room. I see that hand. There's tons of hands going up. Okay, so I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. saying, Jesus, I'm done running. I need you to come get me. All right, so Jesus, tonight we're just praying that you'll come get us. God, I pray that you bring the lost sheep home in this room. God, I pray that you would change us from the inside out. Jesus, we pray that your blood, that your sacrifice would cover us and forgive us of all of our sins. God, we just pray that, that you would completely uh, make us a new person tonight. In Jesus' name. All right, there's a, a second group tonight. And that's uh, those of us in this room were Christians, but, but we haven't been living on mission. And, and like I said, maybe you're feeling some shame tonight. And I just believe that God, one, wants to take that shame away, but to send you on mission. So if that's you, if you want to be a part of this mission to reach this campus who so desperately needs Jesus, I pray that you just lift up both hands right now to heaven and just tell God, say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, send me. Send me to my friends. So Jesus, we pray that right now. Jesus, we pray that you would send us to our campus. We pray that you would bring the lost sons and daughters home on this campus and help us to be a part of it, Jesus. We just want you to move in us and then move through us, God. We just want you to send us to this campus and to help us to reach every single heart on this campus. All right, Jesus, we love you. In your name, amen.